You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. All right, you can grab a seat. How are we doing this morning, Embassy? Spring break? Still here? I'm impressed. Um, my name is Critter Cook. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Embassy. If this is your first time, again, like Eric said, uh, super glad you're here. Welcome. Um, as I get uh, set up, we already kind of had our, our meet and greet time, so I'm just going to jump into our uh, sermon this morning. Um, but before I do that, I want to give a nod or a heads up to um, something really big in life at Embassy that's coming up in two weeks. Okay, uh, and so that is Family Matters. We do Family Matters, uh, this little one and a half hour kind of class of sorts, I guess you could call it. Um, we do this uh, three times a year, so in the fall, spring, summer. Uh, the one for the spring is coming up here uh, in, on March 24th, which is a Thursday night from 7 to 8.30. Um, and I want to say a little bit about it before uh, we jump into our our sermon here in Galatians, okay? Um, but a few weeks back in our, our Gospel Period sermon series, um, we looked at the idea of adoption, okay? Uh, and if you were here, I want to draw, draw your attention back to it. If you weren't, I'll, I'll elaborate. But we looked at the idea of adoption um, as Christians understand it, spiritual adoption, adoption in the Christian life. And we talked about how uh, in the Gospel that justification is the first privilege, um, but adoption is the highest, Okay, so the Christian isn't somebody who's just forgiven by God. The Christian is somebody who's embraced by God, somebody who's brought into the family of God, somebody who has been given the royal robes to be worn and the royal ring to be worn and the royal crown to be worn, and they were brought into the family. Once enemies, not just forgiven for their rebellion, but reconciled, not just as friend, but, but family, but son and daughter. It's a radical idea, okay? Um, and when you're adopted into the family of God, um, there's some implications of that. It's not just some ethereal kind of spiritual thing out here. Um, there's some, some implications that should be evident in your everyday life, okay? And so track with me. Um, when you're brought into the family of God, um, you're a part of what's known as the church, the big C church, the universal church, the Catholic church. Uh, but the local expression of the universal church, maybe the little C church of the big C church, is churches like embassy, Okay, it's a local expression of a greater kind of spiritual reality of who is in or who is not in the family of God, right? Um, so embassy, um, as a local church, um, is this visible expression of the people of God, all right? Who are sons and daughters of God? Who believes, who confesses Christ, okay? Um, and that's why we use this family language a lot here. Yeah, you hear us talk about it, joining the family. You'll hear us say language very intentionally of guest, friend, family, okay? Um, because embassy, above all, is not um, an event to be entertained at. I'm not that funny. I'm, I'm sort of funny, but I'm not that funny, right? And, uh, and so you can get way better entertainment at the Buzzkirk, sort of, maybe. I, I've never been there. Um, but you can get better entertainment somewhere else in town, and so embassy is not an event. Um, we don't have a big hoorah for, for just attenders, okay? Um, uh, embassy is not a social club. Um, we talk about membership, but not in the same way. Um, it's not something you buy into and you get benefits. There are benefits to being a family member of embassy, but there's also responsibilities. And so the imagery there is, it's biblical imagery. And I want us to, to, to grab a hold of it um, and understand it. And so when you look at the New Testament, 
the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian without the context of the local church, okay? Does that make sense? The New Testament knows nothing of following Jesus and social isolation. Like, you, you can't find that in the New Testament. If you read it, part of what it means to be a Christian is to be in relationship not just with God, but with fellow brothers and sisters. And so the local church is how we live that out. The local church gives, like, real tangible um, context to what does it mean to turn around and love one another, serve one another, defer to one another, all these one another's in the New Testament. Um, you can't live that out if you're not a part of a local body, Okay. And so that's just the theology behind or the ecclesiology behind like this family language. Um, and what I would love for, um, if you have been a guest, um, even for, for today, maybe, maybe your first day, or you've been a friend, maybe you've been coming for, for maybe even a year in our gatherings, um, but you're not family, sign up for Family Matters. It's not a commitment, it's just information, okay? Um, but, but we're hosting it at my house, um, Thursday night, March 24th, it's from seven to 8.30. We'll have apps, we'll have desserts, and we'll look at this idea of church as family, and then embassy specifically. Where we came from, where we're going, who we are, what your next steps could be, all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't um, taken the Family Matters class, or I don't even know why, I, we gotta come up with a better name. Class sounds like so unexciting, right? It's like, hey, come to class. Um, but if you haven't come to Family Matters before, um, I really, really encourage you to, to get a better understanding of why we use this kind of language and why it's so important in the life of the Christian, especially in the life of embassy, okay? So you have a QR code on your chair. Um, if you're a guest, you can scan that, um, fill that out, um, but you can also scan that and fill that out for info or RSVP about Family Matters, okay? Um, and if you don't know how to do that, there's a Next Steps booth in the back, and so I don't know if iPhones aren't your thing, um, then uh, you can talk to a real live human being in the back and get more information, all right? So that's Family Matters, that's just a, a, a plug, um, but I wanna jump into our Gospel Period Sermon Series. So if you have a Bible, um, or you have a Bible app, open to the book of Galatians chapter four. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, not familiar with the Bible, don't be shy about stopping um, by the table of contents to act, ask for directions, but we're in Galatians, which is a small book in the New Testament, chapter four, uh, and we're gonna be looking at 10 verses, verses 21 through 31, okay? Um, thus far in our sermon series, The Gospel Period, um, we're looking at the gospel um, for what it is, right? The gospel is God's good news, heaven's good news to earth, that though we're more wicked than we dare to imagine, at the same time, we're more loved than we dare to dream, okay? The cross tells us that, that we are more wicked than we dare to imagine, but at the same time, we are more loved than we dare to dream. This gospel message is at the, at the core of Christianity, okay? Uh, and the gospel period um, is, is just a, a, a plure from Paul to stop there, okay? Um, the temptation uh, when, when someone becomes a Christian is to start with the gospel but not stay there to not just stay at gospel period, but move to gospel plus and to kind of add on just rules, right? Dress this way, act this way, don't do these things, do those things. Um, and little by little, a soul shift happens where we start to think that our um, righteousness before God is not wrapped up with our faith in Christ, but it's wrapped up with our faith in Christ plus the good person we really are, okay? And what Paul's argument is in the whole book of Galatians is when you add to the gospel, when it's not the gospel period, but the gospel plus, you actually adulterate the gospel and you get away from it, okay? Um, and so we're gonna continue in this gospel period sermon series, and um, this is one of the last more redundant sermons um, I'm going to preach. Now, if you've been here for a while, you might be thinking that, like, redundant, golly, we're talking about the gospel again. Yes, we are. Um, 
the gospel is something we can't get away from. And the imagery I've used is it's like a, a, a gym. Like I, I want to explain it so simply that if you're new to Christianity, if you're a seeker, you're a skeptic, you're asking questions, you can really grab a hold of it and go, I get it. I get what the gospel is about. I get what these Christians are about. They're weirdos, but I get it, you know, and you can hold on to it. But I don't want you to hold on to it and think you just, you can handle it. I want you to hold on to it so you can hold it up. You can hold up to the light and look at the incredible facets of it. And ultimately, I want you to see it as beautiful. If you don't see the gospel as beautiful, you've never seen the gospel, okay? If it doesn't taste sweet to you, if there's not an emotional kind of visceral reaction to you, it's just facts, and it hasn't seeped from your head to your heart, all right? So we're looking at this, this gospel, and, and I've built into this whole sermon series a beautiful redundancy um, because um, I want to look at different facets of it. And so we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about it in a slightly different way today. Um, it's, it's like a good country song. We got any country fans in here? No, I have people shaking no. 90s country, yes, amen. Lord's music. Um, it's like a good country song. It's the same song, like each stanza, but like slightly different. And then like there's just a little twist. It's like the same story, but then it's like, oh, it's your mother's shoes. Oh gosh, and you just start crying, you know? It's cheesy, but it's great, right? That's it, kind of like the gospel. It's the same, it's the same song, but um, every different little, little stanza, every different little facet uh, is just a beautiful kind of angle to look at it, okay? So here's the road sign, signs where we're going, all right? 10 quick verses, um, but you need to understand this, and especially this chunk of Galatians is really confounding. If you've ever read this book, um, maybe you've read ahead, you probably got to this passage and you're like, covenants, Hagar, what? You know, it's really confusing. So most people just kind of breeze through this section because you don't really grasp it. Um, and so I want to give us some road signs about where we're going. Um, verse 21 is gonna give us the audience, who Paul's talking to, but then three big chunks, okay? Um, historical background, 22 and 23, um, where we're going, okay, what's going on with Abraham, this father of the faith? Because Paul's pointing us back to the beginning, okay? Um, then from there, Paul makes a, an allegorical argument from this historical, um, this historical background with Abraham, okay? That's 24 through 27, and then he ends with personal application, okay? Three big movements, brief introduction, but that's where we're going, all right? So let me read for us uh, Galatians 4.21. Who is Paul talking to? Who is he writing to? Uh, he clarifies again. He says this, Galatians 4.21, let, or excuse me, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Okay, so um, <clears throat> a few weeks ago we talked about what it means to be under the law versus in Christ, okay? Um, and this is what I want you to, to really not miss. Those who wanted to be under the law were not those who wanted to obey the law because they love God, but those who wanted to obey the law because they want God to, to love them, okay? So who Paul is actually speaking to um, in this real Galatian context is, is those who who were following the law because they wanted to change God's affections for them. They weren't believing the gospel that said God loves you not because you're loving, or excuse me, not because you're lovable, but because he's loving. And they were, they were working out their, their salvation or working for their salvation rather than working out of it because they already possessed it, okay? Um, this is what these Galatian Christians were doing, and Paul's calling them back, all right? They'd repented, they believed, and now they're being told by these Jewish Christians that, hey, that's not enough, it's not enough to be a Christian and be in Christ and be reliant on his righteousness before God, but you also have to do these things and add to it, all right? And this is what Paul's challenging. So if I could rephrase this, who Paul's talking to here is religious people. Dear religious person, dear person who is so tempted to find your validity, your worth, 
all right? Your acceptance before God and what you do or don't do, you need to hear this, okay? You need to understand what it was like at the start with Abraham, all right? So this passage is speaking to religious people, which if you're in church on a Sunday morning, especially on spring break, (laughs) right, you kind of fall into this camp, right? This is for all of us, all right? And they ask this. He says, do you hear yourself? Right, you ever been in an argument and you kind of get that response back to you, you know? I don't know if it's with your wife or something like that. She's like, do you hear yourself? And you're like, uh, I don't know, but I'm so angry that you even said it that way, right? You're just like, you're not listening to what you're saying kind of thing. This is what Paul's saying. Do you realize what you're signing, signing up for? Have you read the fine print in the contract, okay? Because what he's gonna challenge them in is that they're actually not choosing freedom by going this route, but they're choosing slavery. And moving towards religion, they're becoming slaves. Which, if you're new to Christianity, if you're, if you're a seeker, you're a skeptic, you're sitting on the back row here, that might sound strange. It's like, wait, aren't y'all supposed to be the religious people? Uh, again, Christianity is anti-religion. Okay, this is why Christians for the first 300 years in the Roman Empire were persecuted mercilessly by the Romans, because it didn't fit in their religious categories. Okay? Christianity is anti-religion. Religion says you need to do all these things or not do all these things to make yourself right with God. Christianity says, by God's grace, you are right with him because what he's done through Christ. And so a Christian still does all those things, but they do it now out of love for God, not to earn God's love. Radically different, okay? So what about the historical background? Look at 22 and 23. Paul calls the religious person's attention all the way back to the beginning, okay? Um, And so... I'm going to apologize in advance, but we are going to like have to jump around a lot in our Bible. Okay. So you're going to have to use all your fingers to hold your, your placeholders, but I want us to flip all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Okay. Or scroll all the way back uh, if that helps you. But let me read Galatians 4, 22, 23. And Paul's going to call our attention to what happened at the start of it all when God came down and made promises to man. Okay. Look at Galatians 4, 22 through 23. Paul says, it is written that Abraham actually had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. Okay, so Paul's calling these Galatian Christians' attention back to Abraham and Abraham's sons. He said he has two sons. He has a son of promise and a son of the flesh, right? A son of grace, a son of works, a son born of Sarah, a son born of Hagar, okay? And there's brilliance to this. And if you don't grasp this, you're not gonna understand the punch that Paul is packing in this argument, all right? The Judaizers, or these, these quote-unquote Jewish Christians, they're false uh, teachers, they're not Christians, um, their, their argument, again, is, hey, you're in Christ, Gentile Christian, non-Jewish Christian, great, not enough, you need to convert to Judaism, right? You need to follow the law, okay? Because we are the true sons of God. We are the true children of Abraham, okay? Our physical lineage comes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob all the way down, okay? And so, man, this is a a super discouraging statement to somebody, namely me, who's not a Jew, right? Just by my birth, I'm left out of the favor and the goodness of God, okay? That's the argument, and, and this is the argument that Paul takes, and he flips on its head, okay? Uh, Paul's counter-argument um, is, is, is this, that Abraham actually had two sons, 
Okay, so I want to bring us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and I want to do this rather quickly um, because I don't want us to get stuck in Genesis, but it's really important, okay? And if you don't understand the Old Testament and God's promises, you'll never understand the New Testament and God's fulfillment of his promises, okay? Um, The New Testament is the fulfillment of what God has promised from old, okay? And so um, he brings us all the way back to Genesis 12, all right? And Genesis 12 is significant because it's God's promise to a man named Abram, And he promises a lot of things, um, but among those things he says, okay, um, that from his lineage, from his future people, right, from his family that becomes a nation, that there will be a seed, there will be a blessing that comes that will bless the world. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, okay? So from Abram's lineage will come the Savior of the world, all right? Now, when Abram gets this promise, you know how old he is? Anybody? 75. 75 with no kiddos, okay? I mean, look, if you're getting up there in age and you don't have kiddos yet, you're not 75 with no kiddos, and he just got a promise from God that through his descendants, the world will be blessed, all right? And so despite the just like, okay, that's crazy, Abraham believes God, all right? That's Genesis 12. Genesis 15, God reaffirms his his promise to Abram, all right? He doubles down, and he has this kind of like stars in the sky moment where God brings him outside his tent. Y'all know the story, and he looks up, and he goes, Abraham, start counting, and Abraham gets lost. He's like, I I can't, I can't count, and he's going, you see all that? Your descendants would be more numerous than that, but there's a problem. Abraham doesn't have a descendant. Abraham can't even count one descendant, but God's still making this promise, all right? And Abraham believes despite being childless, and he trusts God's promise, okay? Now, Genesis 16, it gets a little weird, right? You ever, if you've read the Old Testament, man, there's some weird stuff in there, right? You're, you're reading it, and you're just like, what's happening? And the gap between, like, us as a modern and them as an ancient is so big, you're like, this is freaking me out. There's some of those things in Genesis as a whole, but especially uh, in these chapters of, of, of Genesis 12 through 21. But the story takes a shift, Okay? Sarah, Abram's wife, is still barren, right? She's childless. And in that day and age, your progeny uh, was so closely tied to your value, your worth, right? To your, to your family, to your society, your culture, all right? So Sarah is barren. She is hopeless, all right? I, I don't know if there's anybody here that, that struggle with infertility. Um, me and Allie, my, my wife, have, have a, a degree of experience with it. It is like, wow, we, we can't do anything, Right, you, you realize just it takes the, the, the grace of God right, to gift you. As much as we know about how all these things work, and I'm not gonna go into anatomy lesson, stuff like that, we got kiddos in here. But like, you're just like, as much as we know about how it works, like the fact that it works, the fact that, that like God invites us into the reproduction of life is incredible. And it is a, a I'm, maybe I shouldn't use this word, but it's a miracle every time. It's just the work of God. All right, so, so you have... That experience for us here in modern day, but the, the pain of it is nowhere close to what Sarah is experiencing in the ancient times, that she is barren, she is hopeless, she cannot give birth to this child, and she's hearing these promises, and it's almost like salt in the wound. And so Abram and Sarah take the promises of God, and they try and work them out in their own power. So Sarah actually gives Hagar to Abram, they get married, and they actually have a child, and that child's Ishmael. Okay, um, but, but the point of Genesis 16 is Abram moves from trusting God's promises to actually fulfilling himself, right? 
You, you can't miss that, okay? Abram in 16 isn't acting as a man of faith. He's going, all right, God, I hear your promises. I'll take it from here. Anybody else guilty, right? God promised you something, but I'm not waiting for your timing, you know? I think this is how it'll play itself out. I got it. That's what happens in Genesis 16, all right? Genesis 17, track with me, because it's really important we understand the historical argument Paul's making. Abram again reiterates the promise, or excuse me, God to Abram, okay? Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Sarah gets her name changed from an I to an H, and then God clarifies his promise again. And this is over years, decades of life, okay? So as you're reading this narrative, you gotta grasp the weight of this. And I wanna read for us from Genesis 17, all right? So if you wanna flip there, you can. This is Genesis 17, 15. I'm gonna read all the way through 19. God says this to Abraham. He says, as for your wife, Sarah, don't call her Sarah, for Sarah will be her name, moving from I to H, meaning princess. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her, not by Hagar. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down, and this is key. It says he laughed. He laughed. And he said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 99-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. Now again, God gives him his promise and what's Abram's response? He laughs at God going, there's no way. Right? It would take a miracle. It would take an act of divine intervention. It would take grace for this to happen, why can't you just accept my work, my effort, what I produce through Ishmael? And God says no. All right, are you tracking? Last one, Genesis 21. The Lord makes good on his promise. 100-year-old and 99-year-old given a child, Isaac. And Sarah, who was barren, who was hopeless, who was by all accounts on the margin, right, who wasn't beautiful or acceptable or, or vibrant or fruitful, gives birth to this promised child, okay? And it says this, Genesis 21.1, the Lord came to Sarah and, and he said, excuse me, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Isn't that beautiful language? And then down in verse six, this is Sarah's response. God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. There's this, this kind of theme running through Abraham and Sarah's story of laughter. As they're told by God this promise of what he's gonna do for them to give them a lineage, and they laugh. Abram laughs, almost laughs at God, and then Sarah, a chapter later, laughs at God, and when God actually fulfills the promise in, in the most real, sincere, and just grace-shocked way, they laugh. Not in cynicism, but in absolute joy, all right? This is this picture Paul's calling our attention to. Why? All right? Now, I want us to get this. Again, this is the most misunderstood section of Galatians, all right? 
Um, historical background. Abram had a son of his effort, which is Ishmael, and he had a son of promise, which is Isaac. All right? Ishmael was born of a slave woman. He was born naturally. He was born of personal performance. Okay? Isaac was born of a free woman, born supernaturally, born of God's promise. Here's the allegorical argument. All right? And then we read Galatians 4, 24 through 27. So Paul says this. All right, I'm going to give you the history. Let me tell you what it really means. Allegorically speaking, if you take these things figuratively, the woman, the women represent two covenants. They represent two ways of relating to God. One way of relating to God is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. That is Hagar, okay? Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Do you grasp what Paul's saying? He's taking the argument of these Judaizers, which is saying, hey, we're the true children of, Ab of, of Abraham because we were born of the right lineage, and going, no, you're pointing to your effort, and the theme of Scripture is God's grace. And so true children of Abraham aren't the children of, of physical descent, but of spiritual promise. The children of faith, who like Abraham, had faith. And so basically what, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, it doesn't matter who your daddy is, who's your mama? Are you tracking with, with the argument here? Because Abraham had two sons, did he not? So Abraham's my father. Okay, Abraham might be your father, but you're not coming through a spiritual lineage and a promise of grace. You're coming through a physical lineage and your effort in earning. That you're actually a son of Hagar, not a son of Sarah. And the implications of that is you're a son of slavery. And so what he's doing is tying religion to slavery. Because that's what religion is, right? Religion is this hamster wheel that we get on in our personal performance where we just work harder and harder and harder and we get nowhere. That's anti-gospel. That's anti-Christianity. Now, a lot of quote-unquote Christians practice a lot of religion, but that's not at all at the heart of the scriptures. All of the scriptures is about God's grace-filled grace promises to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. It was completely outside the capacity of Abraham and Sarah to have a child, but God promised and God promised and God promised, and they laughed in cynicism because it was too painful to believe it themselves, and God provided, and man, they, they, they laughed in joy. You just imagine just, just weeping tears of joy. And if you've ever been touched by the grace of God, you know what that's like, because maybe you started with religion, and that's my story. I grew up in and around church, and, and I'd never heard the gospel. It's not because it wasn't preached. I couldn't hear it. I was spiritually deaf, spiritually blind, and so I, I'm turned towards religion. I turn towards doing the things that good people do and not doing the things that, that bad people do. But it's exhausting. And this is what Paul is pointing out is it is enslavement. And that God actually wants to set us free. And this is where it gets really interesting, okay? Um, because we often think about Christianity and the gospel setting us free from the slavery of sin right, that always overpromises, always underdelivers, but there's another ditch to fall into, and it's slavery to self-salvation and religious performance. Both are, 
highly constraining. And the gospel is wholly different, all right? So it's not about who your daddy is. It's about who your mama is. Were you conceived out of your own works or were you conceived out of God's grace? Think about it. Is your right relationship with God based upon his grace and his provision for you or is it based upon your effort and your earning? The way I'll talk about this, if I'm, if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and just kind of explaining um, what the gospel really says is, is just hypothetically, if you were to stand before God, what allows you to do so? A holy and righteous God. Like, like what do you state? If he just kind of, figuratively speaking, says, you know, why, why should I let you into my forever heaven? If it starts with I, <laughs> you're in a bad spot. My mom and dad were this. They did this for me. Or, or I'm this, I did this for me. The Christian somebody who goes, you absolutely shouldn't. But, but I'm with that guy pointing to Christ. I, I, I'm with him. Right? He, he gives me his righteousness. In John 8, Jesus Man, Jesus punches hard with this one. John 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious professionals, if you will, of their day. Um, so if you're religious, um, you're not more religious than these guys. All right, they, they were good. They were professionals at being religious, okay? And in John 8, um, he calls them out for their presumptuous kind of take on the fact that because their physical lineage is through Abraham, that they're good to go, right? This is the whole um, challenge that John the Baptist gives the, the Jewish people, where he's going, God can turn these stones into his children. You're wicked, and you need to repent of your sin and believe, right? But he, he's going, don't, don't presume that because you got the right birthright that you're actually right with God, because it's not about birthright. It's about believe right, because it's about God's grace. And so in John 8, this is Jesus' kind of punch at the religious leaders. And what Jesus makes clear um, is the children of Israel are those who actually walk by faith like Abraham did. It's children of the promise, okay? Um, and the outcome, again, is the difference between slavery and freedom. And we're going to talk a lot about this next week. We're going to talk about freedom in the gospel, um, but, it, but it's powerful. Now, I want to draw your attention to the last part of this passage. All right, look at Galatians 4, 28 through 31. Um, actually, let me jump up at 27. Paul writes this then. For it is written in 27, rejoice, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now, this quotation is actually from Isaiah 54. So it's not Paul drawing their, their attention back to Genesis. It's Paul threading it now through the rest of the Old Testament. And what he's trying to say is there is a theme running all throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 54, this is when the nation of Israel is just absolutely desolated by the kingdom of Babylon. There is no hope for their restoration. In the midst of just such bleakness and darkness in this part of Isaiah, if you go read it, there's this hope. What man couldn't do, God will do. From desolation, God will bring hope. From barrenness, God will bring fruitfulness. And so Paul's drawing this theme all the way from Genesis to Isaiah 
all the way up um, into now Galatians in the New Testament. And then he closes out with this, Galatians 4, 28 through 31. Now you two, brothers and sisters, the application, like Isaac, you are children of the promise. Your mother is Sarah. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit. So also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of a free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you are not, we are not children of a slave, but children of a free woman. Essentially what Paul's saying here is, this is why you're being persecuted. Because what's true then in Galatians and what's true all throughout church history is it's the religious doing the persecuting. More often than not, it's the religious person that's, that's pricked, that, that's defensive when the gospel comes in and challenges them, right? It, it's not the irreligious person, it's the religious person because the religious person gets all of their identity out of their performance. And so if you come in to a religious person and you go, hey, your performance isn't enough, what? Right? <clears throat> And so throughout church history, if you want to go see just time and time again um, the, the, the narratives of persecution, yes, there's irreligious persecuting the religious. There's those outside the church, but often it's those who are quote unquote inside the church, but false brethren who are so defensive of their external performance and religi religiosity that this message of grace is absolutely terrifying. You're telling me that I can do nothing to put myself in right relationship with God except actually just believe on his promises? Yeah, that's grace, all right? So this is what I want us to end with. Religion enslaves, but the gospel frees. Religion enslaves, but the gospel frees. Ultimately, a Christian's confidence is in God and his promises. It can never be in their own performance because we can never do enough. And trying to do enough will put you on a hamster wheel of exhaustion. <clears throat> I, wanna, I wanna close with this idea um, because it, it's powerful of, of Sarah and just her, her infertility, all right? Um, <laughs> Derek actually said this last week, which I thought was good. He started with this idea of, of talking about um, pregnancy and, and labor pains and how it's just a dangerous thing to be a man and, and compare anything to labor. Um, this is like a step further. This is like the third rail and just grabbing a hold of it because now I'm a man trying to compare things to infertility, which again, if, if you've ever experienced that personally, is just horrible and painful and exhausting and you feel helpless and hopeless and, and there's literally nothing that you can do to change the outcome except just beg God to be gracious to you. This is the imagery that Paul's using as he grabs a hold of Sarah. This barren woman, this hopeless woman, this woman that's just a little too old. Right? She's a picture of, of, of the person on the margin that doesn't think there's just any way, any hope for them. And grace comes in. God's promise and provision comes in and does for her what she couldn't do for herself. This is the picture of the Christian gospel. All right, so I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you resonate with someone like, like Sarah, and you just need to hear that God has provided for you. 
You just need to trust him. And that's a simple confession with your mouth and belief in your heart that God did for you what you couldn't do for yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Or I, I don't know if you really resonate with Abram and Abraham and you go look at his story and it's like, man, like, yeah, I, I started to believe the promises of God and I stayed strong in chapter 12 and chapter 15, but, but man, I'm in a chapter 16 Abraham kind of way just trying to like add my own effort and energy and it, it's bringing a lot of brokenness. Like chapter 16's messed up. There's a lot of brokenness in there because Abraham took it in his own, his own uh, control. And so maybe you just need to repent of, of grabbing a hold of, of, of your future, your destiny, and trying to work out your salvation or work for it instead of believing it and working out of what you've already been given. I don't know if it's Sarah or Abram, but I, I want you in here as we close out to see a God that promises, that all the way back at the very beginning started promising and has made good on every single promise and is never not. And it may take longer and it may not come out like we expect, but man, he has never not fulfilled what he said he would. And this is threaded all throughout scripture. It's a powerful, powerful message of grace that I don't want us to miss. So let me pray for us that we be a church that doesn't get on the hamster wheel of religion but lives in the freedom that is there because yeah, because God gives it to us and we don't have to earn it. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for just the grace of the gospel. We thank you for um, the fact that this isn't something new that was just stirred up. Oh, golly, but when we look back all the way to the beginning, we look back to your interaction with Abram and your first promises given, we see grace. We see unmerited, undeserved favor, and we see your, your faithfulness, your steadfastness to see it through. We see that all throughout Scripture, there's just a, a consistent story of your provision for us, something only you could do, we couldn't do for ourselves, and so we stand in awe. Um, and I, I pray for those in here, those who, who really resonate with Abram, who are so tempted to, to take it in their own hands, to to work for their own salvation, to bring about ends that, that you promised to, that you give them faith to trust you. And I pray for those that feel like Sarah, that, that feel on the margin, that feel in the outs, that feel hopeless, that feel like they can do nothing. Would you give them hope this morning? That you are good, that you see them, that you know their pain, their hurt, and you meet them in it. And we thank you for the gospel. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.